Hi, this is Jeff Steele. Today we're reading Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 through 51. It says, Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders. And the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave the Israelites whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. That night, the people of Israel left Ramses and started for Sukkot. There were about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. For bread, they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry that they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him, and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the instructions for the festival of Passover. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal, but any slave who has been purchased may eat it if he has been circumcised. Temporary residents and hired servants may not eat it. Each Passover lamb must be eaten in one house. Do not carry any of its meat outside, and do not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate this Passover festival. If there are foreigners living among you who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let all their males be circumcised. Only then may they celebrate the Passover with you like any native-born Israelite. But no uncircumcised male may ever eat the Passover meal. This instruction applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner living among you. So all the people of Israel followed the Lord's commands to Moses and Aaron. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. Well, we finally, we finally have reached the point where the Pharaoh has finally broken. The previous section is the final plague on Egypt, and it's the death of the firstborn throughout the land. Plague after plague has made life difficult for the Egyptians, but finally when the firstborn started dying, Pharaoh lost his resolve and he was broken. Now, for me, growing up in church and hearing the Old Testament stories like this one so often, I always felt like the Pharaoh was super stubborn, and of course he didn't believe in God, so he simply wanted to hold on to his slave labor as long as he could. And when the Pharaoh's own son died in the 10th plague, he was finally so heartbroken that he believed God and he did what he was asked. But his first statement kind of reveals a slightly different edge when he says, get out, leave my people. Partly, I think that statement's interesting because what's Moses' famous line? Let my people go, right? That's what we know. <laughs> That's what Moses says in all the movies. Let my people go. That's what Moses asked of Pharaoh. But the Pharaoh showed no concern at all for the well-being of Moses' people. And in a sense, the first nine plagues didn't really threaten the Pharaoh's people directly, although it did. they did make their lives absolutely miserable. But the tenth plague, well, now it gets real, doesn't it? 
high class, low class, royalty, commoner, it didn't matter. God showed that he holds the power not just over nature, but over life and death. And Pharaoh realized, probably for the first time, that he was absolutely powerless against it. And he was afraid. He was afraid for his own people. Suddenly, the Hebrews, or more specifically, their God, was not just a nuisance, but he was a viable threat to the security of Egypt. And if the Pharaoh was powerless to protect his own people, how could he lead them? That night, every Hebrew went from being a slave to being a very dangerous person in the eyes of the Egyptians. Those Hebrews worshipped a dangerous God, and Egypt's response to them would be very natural. Get out! Get out of here and take your God with you. He isn't safe to keep him around here anymore. They actually couldn't push them out the door fast enough. And then this next part about asking for clothes and silver and gold, it always strikes me kind of funny because all Israel wanted to do all along was just to get out of there. Like if you're imprisoned somewhere and you have the chance to get free, you don't say, wait, I have to go back for my hat. No, you leave it behind and you make your escape. So when they actually take the wealth of the Egyptians with them, it says a couple of things. Uh, One, it says they were leaving somewhat on their own terms. Like this was not a midnight jailbreak, barely escaping. No, this was a people who could no longer be contained, walking out on their own merit. Also, plundering a city is what a conquering army would do. Only after a city has been subdued by a superior invading force do they give up all their treasures. Israel taking the wealth with them means they actually plundered Egypt on their way out. It's a definitive statement that says Israel has not merely survived their captivity, they actually conquered their captors. And then three, it's a testimony to how badly the Egyptian people wanted to get rid of them how terrifying the Hebrews had become, how powerless they must have felt. It was worth any cost to be rid of the people who brought such terror to them. And it's fitting in a way. Remember, at the beginning of the story, the Hebrew babies were thrown into the river to drown and everything was taken from them when they were made slaves. Now, without raising an army, without a single battle, the tables have been completely turned. You know that through all of this, God was doing something big because then he established a commemoration of it. It's generally a good rule to pay attention to anything that the Bible seems to be making a big deal out of. That's a hint that it's important. It's like if your spouse says, hey, don't we have a special occasion coming up next week? You don't say, no, I don't think so. You find out what it is that is so special and you commemorate it. That's kind of what God is doing with this Passover meal. He's establishing it as a festival that's to be observed year after year so that every successive generation will know the story of how God set his people free. His people. The Bible is actually full of memorials like this. And I wonder, what kind of observations do we have to remind us of how God is involved in our lives? When we reach the New Testament... Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Just like at Passover, a lamb is sacrificed. So in the New Testament, Jesus is the lamb who is sacrificed once and for all. The Passover lamb was not to have any of its bones broken. And the Gospels actually make a point of telling us in the same way that when Jesus died, not one of his bones was broken. 
when you read it in the Gospels, it actually it seems like kind of an odd detail to include, but it makes perfect sense when you realize that Jesus is the Passover lamb. His death is the one that makes life possible for us. And what was it that Jesus told his disciples just before he died? He took the bread and the cup and he said, As often as you do this, remember me. The Passover is a festival to tell about the work of God from generation to generation. So too, we take communion and we tell each successive generation about the Lamb of God who took away our sin. So I wonder, how about us? What are the festivals, so to speak, that remind us of what God has done in our life? What are the signposts that you refer back to regularly that remind you of where God is taking you? Passover and communion are just two examples of of regular times and symbols that remind God's people of who he is. But what about us? Do you live your days in the knowledge of God's goodness and provision in your life? And if not, how can we make that happen? Where can you see him working today? And how can you remember to tell the story of what he's done. Let's pray. God, I pray that you give us eyes to see what you're doing. God, remind us of how you called us. Remind us of how we first met you and how you led us out of darkness, out of slavery, and into life. God, remind us to celebrate that today, to just pause and to celebrate. And God, to tell the story, to tell the story, maybe to our children, maybe to our grandchildren, maybe to whoever will listen. But God, um, give us celebration and give us remembrance today of who you are and what you've done in your name. Amen. Have a great day.